नहीं Good morning, all. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the PID webinar. We are going to begin now and uh, take up this very interesting subject called doing ethnography in the times of COVID 19. I'm not an anthropologist. I don't know what anthropography, um, uh, ethnography is, but I really wanted to learn. And I requested Dr. Zulfikar. Uh, senior PIDE member to help me do this. And Dr. Zulfikar has been very kind. He's put the panel together. He's really the author of this webinar. So I will invite Dr. Zulfikar to take over and conduct the panel. Um, I'll obviously be here and I'll join you in the question and answers, etc. But Dr. Zulfikar, please, you introduce the panel and take it over. Dr. Zulfikar, can you Dr. Saab hang any? Dr. Zulfikar Saab hang. The mic taken, Tika. Sir, mute a mic on the unmute. Dr. Saab, unmute your mic. Okay, let me unmute. Okay. Go ahead, Dr. Saab. Okay. Am I audible now? हेलो can can you okay, okay. thank you everyone uh, for joining uh, and sparing uh, uh, this webinar that is a, a very interesting topic that we have uh, uh, selected on uh, ethnography <laughs> doing ethnography in the uh, times of uh, covid covid 19 so today we have with us a distinguished guest they are uh, uh, the best uh, uh, ethnographers in their own right. So uh, as you already know that we have already shared a bro brochure with all of you. So today we have Shama uh, Dosa, uh, who is from Habib University, followed by Amin Jaffer and uh, Amin Jaffer from LAM, uh, Laila Rajani, uh, cultural advocate from that, and uh, Dr. Nadeem Rao, uh, Dr. Rao Nadeem Alam and uh, Ikram Babshia from Kajarami University. So thank you everyone once again. 
so uh, as you know that uh, uh, many of uh, uh, you know uh, many of us already know that we are going uh, uh, through a difficult time and now uh, covid has uh, changed and uh, uh, reshaped our uh, life so uh, you know in this uh, difficult time it's really uh, difficult for all the ethnographers uh, to continue their research so uh, i will start from a very basic question and would uh, invite uh, dr uh, rao nadim alam to please uh, enlighten us about the basic uh, and the, you know please give us uh, uh, basic uh, insight into ethnography so that our audience should know because uh, audience is is uh, not very well about this uh, term ethnography so dr uh, rao nadim can you please educate us about uh, ethnography what is ethnography and then uh, then we will move how uh, ethnographers have redefined or changed their methodology and strategy to continue their research over to you dr rao nadim alam thank thank you dr sulfkar uh, uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity and uh, thank you uh, vice chancellor saheb uh, dr nadimul haq uh, for providing us this uh, platform and uh, organizing this webinar uh, i'm i'm trying to uh, put up my screen over here uh, let me try that and uh, so that oh, all right thank you thank you nibil saheb uh, okay. uh, i've 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 uh, made a short Uh, powerpoint so that uh, you can uh, follow what i talk about uh, i'll be bilingual uh, if you allow me uh, so, because we have a lot of students uh, attending yeah, the yes, seminar yes uh, so so when i came across this uh, title of this uh, webinar i was confused that uh, if i have to talk about uh, cyber anthropology some uh, some other form of uh, ethnography which is more about uh, being digital or uh, conducting a digital ethnography so i was quite confused and then uh, when i sit back and thought uh, thought about uh, what shall i do uh, kindly uh, put to the next slide please uh, if you could thank you so uh, i i i thought that i must start with the basic uh, definition and the basic idea of ethnography ethnography uh, was a result of a prolonged stay of uh, bronislaw melanski uh, he was a polish uh, a national who was uh, uh, teaching at a british university and he was conducting his field work or, or research uh, in uh, distant areas like uh, he was out of the uh, boundaries of the british uh, uh, like uh, Isles, but he was part of uh, British colonial uh, Raj. Uh, when uh, after the World War, uh, he needed uh, to uh, to stay away from the uh, UK, uh, like contemporary UK, uh, so that he he couldn't be imprisoned uh, as prisoner of war because of uh, by virtue of his nationality. So th- that was the actual uh, reason that he prolonged his stay over there, and he wrote uh, very. Uh, like thick description of uh, the communities he lived in and uh, we often uh, like uh, th- there are certain subjects or the subject matters of his ethnography which are uh, revised by the uh, descendants of uh, descendant ethnographers 
uh, and one of them is Kula Ring, where, where the exchange takes place. However, let's come back to the basic uh, idea of ethnography. Uh, uh, contemporary sociologists and even economists use uh, this uh, methodology uh, reduced to a method uh, used along with their other methods of uh, data collection. Ethnography is basically highlighted by uh, participant observation. So uh, how we perceive participant observation is uh, like there are like four levels. Either you go uh, immersed in the community and you do the participation, complete participation. And uh, at times we call it go gone native. Uh, that means you assimilate to a new culture or into a new culture. And then uh, we have uh, more participation and less of observation Then more of observation, less of participation. So these are the uh, intermediary uh, stages of uh, uh, ethnography. And there is purely uh, observation where you uh, do not participate at all, but you observe. So uh, if we think of uh, something about participant observation is the basic uh, tenant of ethnography, then uh, we come across this question if uh, we have a space for cyber or digital ethnography or not. Uh, however, uh, this is already negotiated since 1920 uh, by Margaret Mead. Uh, she was uh, more into uh, pictures and uh, putting on uh, pictorial representation of the community or uh, things like that. So th that, th that is already a part like using images uh, or later on uh, sketches and uh, further uh, moving images, like even uh, in the similar uh, time frame, we had uh, visual anthropologists like uh, uh, Flaherty, who made uh, Nanook of the North. Uh, he used uh, this protagonist, Nanook, uh, to depict the life of Eskimos. So we have uh, digital intrusion or digital tools used as part of ethnographic uh, data collection. Uh, but uh, such uh, digital uh, assistance is always a tool to enrich the ethnographic experience and the ethnographic data. So uh, the second uh, highlighting feature of any ethnography is prolonged stay in the community and with the community. So uh, that, that gives you uh, chance to understand the, the complete uh, day cycle, week cycle, month cycle, and the year cycle of that community. Uh, so usually we start with one annual function and end up with the next recurrence of that uh, annual function. So it's a year long uh, stay in the field. And uh, once we have this idea of ethnography, uh, I must point out that uh, if we think of pandemic as a risk factor, there are already certain risk factors involved in ethnography, uh, which includes uh, a risk from uh, different diseases. Like uh, if you, uh, if I uh, mention uh, Yanomamo, that's a tribe. Uh, when Britishers uh, went over there, uh, or, uh, sorry, Americans went over there, uh, they, they, they went in a multidisciplinary uh, team and they had biologists and uh, medical scientists as well. And uh, they, they uh, did their uh, blood profiling as well. So th their experience with them uh, was uh, that th there might, would have been uh, contagious uh, diseases or things like that. 
So uh, it is part and parcel of an ethnographic research in classic sense uh, that every ethnographer is vulnerable uh, to diseases, to uh, new uh, forms of uh, torture. So th this kind of risk is always there and uh, it is part and parcel of our uh, evolution of uh, ethnographic experiences. Can we go to the next slide, please? All right. Uh, then we have to understand uh, COVID-19 and uh, place uh, how to relate it to ethnography. So there are different dimensions to it or aspects to it. Uh, first, if we are afraid of COVID-19 as pandemic, uh, which uh, hinders ethnographic practices, uh, then we have to uh, think about uh, or wait. Uh, th th that leads to different decisions. And uh, often these decisions are uh, weighed by the anthropologists or ethnographers by themselves. If uh, they think that uh, they, uh, they, are, they have a stronger immune system uh, or uh, the community they are going to is in isolation and cannot get COVID, uh, such uh, false assumptions, I'll, I'll still think that, this is my personal position, that uh, these might be false uh, and uh, we must save ourselves from uh, such a pandemic, which is unpredictable, uh, which does not have any vaccine. So we should stay at home. We should not go for uh, field for, uh, for an ethnographic field work. However, uh, there are other dimensions to the uh, COVID and ethnography. For example, taking, subject, uh, taking uh, COVID-19 as subject matter of the ethnography, so that gives us an opportunity to observe the impact of pandemic on life, lifestyle, culture, social patterns, and uh, behaviors. Uh, for example, uh, if people are using it as an excuse, uh, how it transforms the lives uh, of people around us. Because in an ethnography, an anthropologist or, or an ethnographer is uh, seeking the patterns of uh, behaviors, which are uh, certainly embedded in patterns of culture. So we learn about patterns of culture in one community and present it to the larger audience uh, who belong to other communities. And then uh, there are other multidisciplinary uses of uh, ethnography. Uh, if we have to think about COVID-19 and then like I put an example, uh, I already gave the example of sociologists using ethnography uh, as their uh, research method. So public health can use ethnography uh, to understand COVID-19 uh, and uh, its social impacts and social embeddedness or cultural embeddedness of the pandemic. So this might be another dimension to it we, where we can uh, debate about. Uh, sir, can we uh, move to the next slide? I'm trying to be brief. Uh, so how, uh, however, we have to think of ethnography as means to certain ends. And uh, apparently, I came up with this uh, binary of academic and research uh, ends. If we have to think about academic ends, then we have to think about what uh, level of degree, uh, and by degree, I mean uh, bachelors, undergrads, graduates of masters, MPhil, or uh, PhD students. And for all these three levels, uh, we have different uh, aims or the goals uh, in our minds, and uh, which are uh, the part of our andragogical training. Uh, the first one is for undergrad, we, uh, we try to uh, make them learn the skill of using ethnographic uh, data collection tools and methods. That includes interviewing techniques, 
conducting focus group discussions, conducting conversational uh, uh, interviews. So uh, if we have to train them in such uh, skills, uh, that could be done uh, without exposing them to a community where uh, they have a pandemic or uh, the higher prevalence of uh, such disease. However, uh, when it comes to uh, a larger, uh, uh, to the higher degree of MPhil or PhD, we have uh, in MPhil we have an aim to make them uh, integrate the theoretical orientation and to uh, produce uh, more uh, theoretical uh, complexities within uh, integrated into their thesis or their field, uh, like the end result of their fieldwork. So there we have to, uh, there again, we, we have this opportunity to uh, restrain them from exposing uh, to COVID and we can make them uh, use other dimensions of ethnography. Uh, uh, and uh, they, they can be uh, like uh, something, uh, like they can do it with their own in-group. And uh, then uh, we have PhD. That is something crucial that we need to make him an independent researcher or her an independent researcher. In that case, we need to make him uh, go to the community, but certainly uh, at that, lev uh, that level of research, we expect such researchers to be mature enough uh, to protect themselves, uh, to follow the SOPs, uh, standard uh, operating procedures for protecting themselves from uh, such a pandemic. And then the second end is research. Uh, we have to think about that if it can be uh, like pro uh, postponed for the time being, or we have to do it right now. Uh, like I put, uh, I, I gave an example of a public health inquiry. So such scientific inquiries cannot wait because uh, it is uh, more of arbitrary nature, and uh, they need to do it in uh, the similar temporal uh, and spatial uh, arrangements which is going on around them. However, there are certain development-oriented research, uh, for example, uh, poverty-related or maybe uh, environment-related, uh, which are not uh, that, uh, like th their temporal uh, aspect uh, can be uh, like uh, waited for a longer period of time. Uh, can we move to the next slide? I'll uh, just try to end it. Uh, I'll, I'll just uh, name few issues for ethnography in the times of COVID so that we can, if, if we want to debate on them or, uh, or few of them, uh, it's, uh, uh, I'll, I'll just uh, make using it as an opening uh, thing for the whole uh, panel. Uh, we can talk about authenticity, um, uh, authority, uh, like uh, and the, the lens, by lens, I mean uh, the human eye and the eye of the camera. And then, uh, and then again, I, I include uh, the use of text or the use of image uh, to create uh, an ethnographic account. And then we can talk about reliability and triangulation if we use uh, uh, human-based ethnography, now I'll call it, and a digital ethnography. We must talk about positionality. If uh, an ethnographer goes into the field, he needs to position himself or she needs to position herself uh, in the field and in relationship to the uh, respondents or the interlocutors. And then certainly reflexivity. Uh, even if you are in the field, uh, you get frustrated. You, you have your own emotions and uh, you have to address them and you have your own uh, learnings and they, that makes you biased and ethnocentric. Or uh, so, so we have to think about all these things, uh, whether we are in the field or we are, or, or else we are using uh, digital space as our uh, field. 
Uh, and then uh, we 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 have to think about the kinetics and kinesthetics, the gestures, the movements, the positions, uh, whatever uh, accompany uh, normal ethnography, and how uh, that transforms, or how the observation of such things transform when we go or opt for a digital ethnography. And certainly, there is another dimension uh, when we talk about uh, digital ethnography, where we think of. Uh, a, a human, like a sapien human, and uh, then a, uh, then a super homo, uh, homo sapien who is more uh, embedded in technology. Uh, let let me address uh, Dr. Saab's uh, question. If ethnography only applicable to primitive people, no, sir. Ethnography is uh, not applicable to primitive people only. We can use it in contemporary research as well. It could be about uh, modern systems. It could be about corporate sector. It could be about uh, an organization. We have organizational anthropology. We have uh, certain other anthropologies which deal with the contemporary culture and contemporary uh, social uh, si subsystems. I'll call. Okay. Or, sure. Okay. Uh, uh, right. Let's uh, let's go to the last one. That's thank you, and uh, I'll I'll restrain myself here. Uh, so that other panelists can uh, talk about all these things. Okay, thank, thank you, you very much, uh, Dr. Uh, Alam, for uh, a very uh, brief overview of uh, ethnography by discussing history and development of the approach. We know that's very important, and it is also very important that our audience should know uh, this uh, interesting uh, approach or methodology that anthropologists are using today in the time of uh, COVID-19. So uh, now I uh, would move to uh, invite uh, Dr. Ikram Batsha. Dr. Ikram, uh, can you please uh, explain in simple words, since uh, Dr. Rao uh, you know, gave us uh, you know, extensive overview uh, of, uh, the, uh, you know, of ethnography, we know that it's very important uh, for anthropologists uh, to go and see and it is also very important what uh, positionality he or she adopts when uh, someone is in the field. So it's also very important that you are on the site and off the site. So since uh, we have uh, uh, in our panel uh, uh, some of the you know experts on digital uh, ethnography, so we will discuss more on once we are not on the site. So Dr. Uh, Ikram, what do you think about the ethnography. Can you please uh, explain in uh, simple words? So I would appreciate if you will uh, be speaking in both, I mean, if you are bilingual so that our audience can understand uh, easily. Over to you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Zulfikar. Uh, all those students and participants uh, who are from the different disciplines, not from the anthropology, for them, uh, the, the word ethnography means, literally means writing about the people. While uh, in the discipline of the anthropology, we anthropologists are ethnographers are supposed to, to visit a particular area and live over there for an extended period of time and to write about the, the total social aspect of the people uh, uh, in detail. So the detailed description of the people based on the participant observation. Participant observation is that, that you, we are supposed to observe the ongoing activities of the people and how that ongoing activities of the people are going to link up the, the, the various social forces and social institutions of, of the society. 
Now, every human behavior is, is not a singular aspect. It is a multifaceted one. Multi-social forces are going to influence the behavior of, of, of the people. So how we can understand the behavior of the people? We can understand the behavior of the people by deciphering or by interpreting the meaning they are going to attach with, 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 with the particular behavior, with, with the particular act. Now, as human beings, or, uh, or we can say that, uh, that they are basically the meaning makers, that through the particular meaning, our social world around us is, is become meaningful. So our word is shaped, the physical word is shaped by the meaning we are going to attach with, 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 with a particular sound or with a particular sign. Now, how we can interpret that meaning and that sign, we can only interpret that meaning and that, that sign while living in the particular social setup. So everything is contextual, everything is situational. One. Now, ethnography is, is basically the basic objective is to describe the lives of the people other than ourselves. So with the accuracy and, and with certain sensitivity is also attached with that. So the detailed description along with that, if you are going to describe that in detail, certain responsibility and certain ethics are also associated with that description. Now that responsibility and that, uh, that uh, ethics, uh, we, we need to, to, to be, keep that in our mind is ethnography is all about face-to-face -face interaction. Now this uh, and, and social intimacy. Now the pandemic has totally changed this and face-to-face -face interaction uh, and social intimacy and the field work, long uh, extended field work is not uh, possible due to, to, to the COVID. That is why we have no uh, new new norms and that is social distance. So we need to, to, to observe that social distance. But at the same time, it is also our need to conduct ethnography. So we have uh, uh, the only option left with us is, is, is online ethnography or digital ethnography. Uh, now, uh, uh, in the traditional ethnography, uh, just like uh, there are certain research ethics associated with that, uh, for example, we have the responsibility to consider the consequences of our action and the consequences of our research, and we have the responsibility to, to, to uh, keep the confidentiality of, of the respondent if they do not want to expose that. So at the same time, ethics are also attached with the, with the traditional ethnography, but now in the, the pandemic situation, there are different new ethics are associated with that. And that new ethic is, is that, that being ethnographer uh, can be a root of the danger for the vulnerable people or for those people who are going to, to, to conduct research on that or from whom you are going to acquire a certain data. So you are at risk for them. How we can minimize that risk, we can minimize that risk through the uh, digital ethnography. Now this, uh, but it doesn't mean that we will discard the traditional ethnography, uh, which is based on uh, on the participant observation, which is based on the uh, an extended stay and, and, and the locale and, and the particular field. Now, not only the definition and the dynamics of the field and the locale is also changed now. Uh, if you look into, 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 into the pandemic, uh, being in the field is the first thing which not only it has changed the, 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 the dynamics of our research, but at the same time, uh, in, in the COVID situation, in the current situation, uh, this, this conduction of the field work is, is, is not possible. So we can say that, that now uh, through the digital ethnography, 
uh, our home become a digital home. But one of the basic dilemma is that, that how we can make our field as a digital field or what are the com component that we can attach with our field or with our locale to, to bring it there to, 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 to the computer screen. Uh, now, uh, we have online tools, as mentioned by the Dr. Rao. Uh, we have uh, many uh, multimedia uh, the media platform, which offer uh, to, with the opportunity to be in contact with, with, with the respondent uh, of a particular area. Uh, now, uh, as we cannot be present at the same time over there, so the, the only option is, is digital ethnography, but at the same time, there are certain limitations that is attached with the digital ethnography. That limitation may be that, that one of the basic purpose of the ethnography is, is immersion, that, that being a researcher, being an ethnographer, being a, being a sociologist, we are supposed to penetrate into, into, into the conditions uh, and how that condition are going to influence the behavior and thinking pattern of the people. Now through the digital uh, ethnography, uh, I'm afraid that we will not be in a position to experience or to penetrate ourselves into the condition that how the people are acting or behaving in, in a certain way. So the certain limitations are attached with that. The digital ethnography is basically, uh, it is not an end product as, as mentioned by the Dr. Rao. It is just like a, a fluid phenomena uh, and that fluid phenomena always work in, in, in such a way that it gives more liberty uh, to, 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 the, uh, to, to the ethnographer at the same time. A liberty in a sense uh, that you can develop different strategy at, at one and the same time. While in the traditional ethnography, you can follow one strategy at the same time. While in digital ethnography, you have the, uh, the, 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 the opportunity and the liberty where you can engage multiple people at the same time. So strategy is flexibility in the strategy is one of the added aspect of the uh, of the digital ethnography. But at the same time, I'm emphasizing on this word immersion, penet penetration into, into the social condition where we can understand the behavior of the people in a certain way. Without realizing or without experience in that condition, I'm afraid that we will miss some of the important aspects of now the researcher in the in the digital ethnography he or she has the liberty to construct their field work or field site in a certain way now that field work may be out of the of the messy messy web the ethical dilemmas can also be associated with that or we can say that that we are going to to conduct research uh, in, in in such a way where we are supposed to develop a certain framework. Now, if we are going to conduct research in, in, in the society where there, there is a certain boundary or there, there are certain limitations associated with that, while in the digital ethnography, we have no boundary. That is no boundary, no, and even time is the, the, the concept of the boundary and the concept of the time is also different. So at the same time, you can access multiple people at the same time and, and being an ethnographer, you can also be engaged in multiple activity at the same time and the respondent can also be engaged at the same time in multiple uh, uh, activity. So digital ethnography, uh, we should study that uh, as, a, as, a, uh, as a fluid phenomena and is one of the hallmark of the of the ethnography is the participant observation uh, uh, and and what what can be the probable replacement of the participant observation in, in, in the 
uh, in the digital ethnography and at the same time uh, how we can use uh, various technological tools which are available to us where we can which which can enhance the quality of our research so obviously uh, fortunately uh, we have many technological tools to which we we, we can collect uh, the required data uh, from the respective respondent and, and we, we can make a sense of of that as well now, uh, for example, we can also conduct the online focus group discussion uh, uh, that the, uh, in the digital ethnography uh, uh, focus group discussion is basically, uh, we can say that it's a tool of the data collection in the discipline of the anthropology where we engage uh, many people uh, and, and, and then uh, we ask certain questions. Dr. Ikram, can you uh, just su summarize your uh, discussion or wrap up the discussion so that I can move to the next speaker? Uh, I think uh, the the topic is very interesting and, and is is and is very lengthy. So let me ask some or, or question to 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 generate a, a healthy debate. Uh, the the question is some of the question is, is is asked by Dr. Rao. So I'm putting some of the question uh, that is the limitation of the di digital uh, ethnography. Uh, that how we will deal with with the public space and with the private space and and, and the virtual world that is one of the, the questions that we need to, to discuss uh, secondly how we can aid the voices of the marginalized class in in, in the uh, in the virtual world particularly in the digital and uh, online ethnography uh, and what about the, the the politics of the ethnography that all the platform and all the communication apes are are developed uh, keeping in view the commercial uh, aspect of that. Uh, and the last question I'm going to give to, to the, the, the panel, uh, that is the dynamics in face-to-face -face interaction is, is totally challenged from the, the, the virtual world. So how we can cope up with that? Uh, with that, uh, uh, I have done with, 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 with what I want to discuss. So uh, I hope that we will generate certain debate and from that debate, we will have certain constructive alternative of the methodology that how we we can conduct uh, research in the pandemic situation. Thank you, Dr. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Uh, for a very uh, enlightening uh, discussion. Uh, yes, you're right, that's a very lengthy, so we cannot uh, cover every dimension that relates to the ethnography in just in, in one seminar. So with this, I uh, move uh, to invite Shamadosa uh, to please uh, uh, Shemadosa, can you uh, uh, enlighten us uh, about uh, digital uh, ethnography? As we know that, uh, uh, you know, anthropologists and ethnographers have uh, redefined themselves. So uh, much before the before arrival of the pandemics, uh, we, uh, uh, you know, uh, relied on uh, nitnography. So you know that nitnography uh, we used to uh, deal with online communities if we wanted to conduct research. So as you are working in Karachi, so you know that uh, uh, anthropologists are not supposed to just focus on primitive or the, or the you know, on the rural areas. So they have moved from uh, primitive cultures, although focus is uh, still uh, on some of the primitive cultures. So they have moved from the primitive culture from the rural spaces to the urban spaces. So we were working in Karachi. So can you please uh, tell us about uh, uh, the digital uh, ethnography, how important is this in today's pandemic? Over to you, 
thank you very much for having me and I'm very pleased to be here to talk a little bit about digital ethnography and we can talk and touch on ethnography as well. Um, I think the first thing that we need to understand though is ethnography is a methodology. Um, it may come in origin from anthropology in some way. And sometimes it's a product like a book that anthropologists produce, but ethnography as a methodology is used by multiple disciplines. So we need to see it as transdisciplinary. Um, and, and so for example, sociologists, even public health specialists, multiple people use it uh, to answer qualitative research questions. So qualitative research questions are not questions about how many people think this way, but about why people think this way and how, what is their experience like and what is um, you know, their daily life experience like. Um, so for example, uh, one of the studies that Lela and I are involved in, and Lela can also show you some of the um, information we're doing, it's called FAPT, which is families and communities at the time, uh, living in the time of COVID-19. And we are very interested in a couple of research questions uh, because we are doing a feminist digital ethnography. So we are interested, uh, I mean, feminists are particularly interested in power relations and about understanding gender differences and what happens when there's a pandemic, how does it affect different people differently? Uh, taking what we call an intersectional lens, which means that you know all women are not the same, all men are not the same, so their positionalities are different. So an urban woman who, woman who works in an office space, her life experience is very different from say, uh, a rural woman or a daily age, uh, wage earner and her experience of living through a pandemic and what it's like to live with her family. So uh, do you want to talk a little bit about fact and uh, we will tag team between us to talk a little bit about how digital ethnography is actually happening in practice? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, everyone, for having us. And uh, as Shama outlined, you know, the bigger questions that we are addressing, in fact, uh, uh, talks about how pandemic is affecting people differently and to kind of document that, but to also kind of use that knowledge to inform policy uh, in the coming years, because this is not just a one-time event. And this is like a pandemic is what uh, in policy circles or in sociology we would, we would classify as disaster. So like, you know, how people are reacting or responding to the disaster uh, differently uh, is, is the aim of the study that we are trying to explore. And, um, you know, so basically the part of the process, the part of the digital ethnographic process is first to kind of, you know, recruit the participants. And uh, one of the bigger challenges is that because we can't travel, all of this is online. Uh, so, uh, you know, more, our, our primary way of recruiting participants and families in Karachi for this was uh, Facebook pages, uh, our own Facebook page that we made uh, and to, you know, recruit people from there. And one of the things that really, and I will I'll, I'll just have it up here to uh, show you, uh, you know, just one second. So while Lena's pulling it up, I mean, we, we just wanted to share that, you know, there are multiple ways in which we're engaging with people. So the research question is very important in digital ethnography. Uh, so we're looking at the epistemology. So the way people make knowledge and understand it, as well as multiple realities, how they're experiencing things in different ways. So those questions are very important for us as digital ethnographers. And we, what is important for us also to understand in terms of methods is that, um, you know, data is not collected, it's made. So you make data between your interaction with the participant and yourself, and the, the digital medium comes in between the two. 
So how does digital ethnography connect? It connects because the medium of data making is very important. Uh, so even as Sarah showing you recruitment, we want to share with you that we used multiple methods in which we recruited people. Facebook was just one platform, was just one digital platform. We also used uh, multiple methods of outreach as well. Um, but uh, this is one way in which we started talking to people about our project and telling them about it. And uh, we also made a, a video which was for people who couldn't read or didn't have access to this page. And so we, we talked about it verbally as well to get consent from people. We also had a Google form as well. And the way that we're collecting data is uh, through WhatsApp messages, through uh, digital voice, uh, for example. Uh, we're getting information from, uh, from uh, people are making videos and sending us to the, to it's basic on the prompts that we have. They're also sending us images <clears throat> and photographs. And so we analyze this in different ways um, and we use different software to do that. Uh, Lela, you want to talk a little bit about recruitment and what, what are these interesting for us and how uh, it's evolving? And the one thing that's very important yeah. to talk about digital ethnography is that it's evolving, sort of um, uh, it's responsive and reflexive in the way that we're engaging with people. So the, the methodology is not always set, but it's flexible. Yeah. And I think uh, it's important to also understand that, you know, we tend to think of digital ethnography mm -hmm. as a replacement of real ethnography, like, you know, the real ethnography being like going out in the field and then like the online ethnography or digital ethnography being like a backup plan. But it, it's, it's ontologically a different way of doing research where, you know, as Shama was talking about multiple realities, right? So there are all these different ways in which people inhabit this world and online spaces, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok are not unreal. They're also real spaces which we inhabit. And what we do on those spaces have real direct impact on our offline lives. And so, you know, kind of treating these online spaces as these real spaces that are worth investigating and exploring and could be a great trove of information and data that, you know, then you can use to analyze uh, human behavior or say something meaningful about humanity is really special. So, you know, um, so basically that we are employing all these, all these tactics and all these tools to, to contact people and to, you know, and one of the things that was really important for us is inclusivity. You know, because that's one of the things of feminist research method as well, that, you know, it's inclusive, it takes account of people's abilities and disabilities and what, how to kind of access the people that we want to interview and we want to be part of the study. So one of the things that occurred to us in the beginning of the recruitment was that a lot of people, so initially, if you see the earlier post, we had our phone numbers and our email addresses, uh, people were asked to call us or send us a text message. And what was happening was that a lot of people, we weren't getting a lot of responses. And uh, you know, this came up because we have a big team of people who's working on this. And one of the things that we realized is that a lot of people feel anxiety in you know, picking up the phone and calling. Like if I have to do it, I probably wouldn't feel very comfortable texting somebody, hey, I want to be part of your st study if I don't know anything about them. And so, you know, collectively we came up with the idea of Google Forms because, uh, you know, we realized that, you know, if something, if there's a form that is, a, you just have to click the link, 
and you just sign up by answering a couple of questions, it's easier to do that. Now, the thing is that the form is deactivated because our study has finished recruitment. So we can't, I can't show you exactly where the form is, but it asks just three simple questions. Like where in Karachi do you live? Like a bigger locality, uh, you know, something about like, you know, how would you like to be contacted? And it's asked for a screening interview schedule. Like what day are you free and when can we call you? So just a very brief questionnaire, but it just the idea that, you know, people just had to click on their phones and like, you know, fill out these three questions instead of calling somebody who's a stranger or texting somebody made a huge difference. And we saw actually quite a spike in our recruitment because of this little change. And, you know, just thinking about like how to make digital ethnography more accessible, like, you know, how to kind of in introduce these tactics so that people feel more comfortable in being part of your study. Uh, so that was kind of, you know, a little bit on the recruitment process. So Lana, I'll just talk a little bit about the fact that, look, when we talk about digital ethnography, it's a little bit broader than the notion of netnography. Uh, netnography specifically looks at social media, whereas uh, if you're looking at digital ethnography, it's much broader. It can be even about communication. Like one of the interesting findings that we have is around COVID, around how people were coping and spending time together was uh, people started watching Artugol as a family. Now that became really interesting for us to study that as a practice and that's a digital ethnography question. So for example, what is it that families were doing? It became a digital practice. So digital ethnography is not about just online, right? It's also about the, the television. It's also about your phone. It's about different ways in which you're connecting with different forms of media. And so it's a much broader sort of an approach to understanding the world. And how do we analyze this data? So I thought I'd just share with you some of the ways that we sort of uh, look at this information, right? Um, and it's important to, to sort of begin to, to see that this information in different ways. And qualitative researchers, we use, uh, you know, uh, different sort of softwares as well to look at our data. Uh, so, for example, if you wanted to look at uh, free software, like, for example, if you don't have money and you're really like on a shoestring budget, like most researchers are, you could get this software, which is free, which is called QDA Miner, and you can import your data here. Um, if you are interested in um, looking at, you know, more complicated, uh, a little bit more expensive uh, softwares, we have something called Atlas TI, which is what we are using for our project. Um, and you can see this is, you know, some of the software that we have available. Um, and if you're interested, there's another software called MaxQDA. Uh, and I thought I'd share that uh, with you as well. So you can have a look at, at what the data looks like in, uh, in MaxQDA. Um, and MaxQDA is really interesting because what it allows you to do is to also import, say, for example, you wanted to uh, look at, I don't know if people have seen this new uh, animated digital um, video called Swipe, which is uh, also has to do with, you know, life online. Um, and so you could import, for example, you know, all the different comments uh, from here, like if you go to the analysis part, or you go, uh, you can actually like pull up uh, some of the, you can do the coding here. So qualitative researchers do coding, right? Um, and so you can pull out like the YouTube data on all the comments that were made and do a discourse analysis on the comments. Uh, you could also actually pull the, uh, the entire transcript uh, of that particular video and then do an analysis of that over here as well. So I just thought, and, and you can also pull in photographs, you can pull in videos and you can quote this as well. 
So these are all the different ways uh, that qualitative researchers actually convert their data and analyze it. And the final thing I thought I'd show you is the difference between um, netnography and, um, and digital ethnography is that netnography actually has a very specific protocol for how you would actually use, um, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, yeah. So netnography actually has a very specific protocol uh, that, that you follow and you're, and you're using of it. And I can zoom in a little bit so you can see here. So you start here and then you decide whether you want to be immersed in the data or you want to be interactive. And then you see this is this whole process it's a very step-by-step -step protocol of how to go about doing it. Whereas uh, digital ethnography is a lot more flexible, it's immersive and it's broader in its approach. Um, and I'm happy to answer a lot more questions uh, that you have. Another experiment that we did was with photo voice, uh, which I did with students at Habib University, where we talked about what the experience of living in the context of COVID online was. And it was a participatory action research. So you can also create participatory action research spaces uh, that are digital ethnographic at the same time uh, to engage with uh, participants designing their own research question and coming up with their own analysis. So all these things are possible in the sphere of digital ethnography. I'll stop there. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Shama and uh, Laila. And both uh, you know, shared with us uh, interesting facts of our, about uh, ethnography. So now I uh, would like to invite uh, Amin Jaffer. Uh, Amin Jaffer, uh, I just uh, wanted to ask a very simple question. Uh, since you're uh, doing uh, digital uh, ethnography, so what do you think, how important is the positionality of uh, a digital ethnographer? What is basically importance of uh, positionality of digital uh, ethnographers. So. Um, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Uh, Zulfikar. Thank you to uh, organizers for putting this together, to Professor Nadeem Haq, to Fahad Zulfikar, and for inviting me to this event. Um, if I, you know, to answer this question, if I can give a little bit of a uh, context to the question of positionality, and then then I can turn more concretely okay. to your question on 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 digital ethnography. Um, yeah. I think some you know perhaps this reiterates some of what all has already been said. Likin jo ethnography hai agar usko aap as a methodology jo hai wo dekhein. So what is really unique about it? So keep it in English. Okay, so what what is really, you know, uh, original, unique, and also very powerful about the method is that it is really about inserting yourself into a social context, uh, into a web of relationships, right? So you're not simply observing, but you're also part of the, the context that you are uh, studying in some way. What that requires is that you establish some kind of position in the uh, in the social milieu uh, that you are studying. So you're not simply just talking to people, uh, but you are actually uh, establishing an active role in, um, in whatever, uh, you know, uh, social setting uh, it is that you are that you're studying, right? Now that obviously does not mean that you have to go native uh, all the time. Um, uh, what that means is, so for example, uh, in my own uh, recent study of uh, Sufi shrines in, um, in urban Punjab, uh, 
you know, of course, I did not present myself as a uh, as someone who is a malang, for example, right? I present myself as a student, or you know, later on when I became part of um, uh, a faculty, I presented myself as that. But I, you know, visited this the shrine regularly. I participated in the activities, and I was they started calling me professor at some point. So you know, but but I had a particular kind of you know role within that within that world, uh, in which I was part of the everyday uh, life of of the of this context. Now. Um, what that means is that you have a certain kind of, you know, deep engagement with with the object of of your study. Um, the challenges of positionality in the digital world, I think, first of all, it stems from the fact that um, there are many, many things that simply you cannot study digitally, right? So, for example. Uh, all three of my ongoing research projects, the one on Mazar I mentioned, but this, the other two are on uh, urban politics in uh, in Lahore, uh, in, in, in two different mohallas in Lahore. And the third is a study of the waste and recycling um, uh, economic sector of, uh, of Lahore. Now, all three of these uh, topics are uh, cannot be studied online because the social milieu in which they operate are actually located in a physical world. So it, you know, it, it is not possible to do digital ethnography on these kinds of topics. Now, what that already means is that, especially in, in our context of Pakistan, uh, digital ethnography becomes quite limited because, as we know, there are uh, large sections of our population that are not online. Um, and most of these sections of our population are already marginalized, already those whose voices are not being heard uh, through. Uh, you know, various platforms, including through research. So it's already a, 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 a major challenge um, uh, over there. Um, the, the other, I think, challenge of digital ethnography, and here I think I can turn to the question of positionality in this, is that we as uh, social science researchers are using certain kinds of concepts for uh, social formations. You know, a uh, example, if we, if we take consider an example, the word uh, community uh, represents a certain way of understanding a social formation, right? You see a group of people together and you say this is a community. Now, when you say or when you use the concept of community to interpret uh, what you see, you are making a, a particular kind of analytical move as well. You are saying that these are uh, this is a group of people that are connected to each other, that are related to each other in a particular kind of, of way. Now, if we take these concepts that obviously come from our, you know, um, uh, our uh, social worlds and we transla translate them into the, the digital world, I think that is a, a serious issue of, of uh, translating concepts. For example, if you want to study something like Twitter or if you want to study something like um, uh, TikTok. Now, of course, people are engaging with each other. People are establishing relations with each other. But can we use the concept of community to describe the way people are connected to each other uh, on platforms like Twitter or TikTok? Um, can we use concepts like tribe or even network to talk about, you know, many of the forms uh, that digital relationships take? Um, I think that's both a challenge. Uh, but also an opportunity uh, because what we are able to do in terms of position, positioning ourselves in digital worlds is to actually explore you know new kinds of ways in which human beings are you know forming relationships and 
ethnographers have to simply you know uh, take take the lead of actually what happens in the world your position inside the field has to reflect the available uh, you know sets of positions that exist in the real world um, so if one has to study a, a social formation uh, that does not have a concept as yet and i think many of the things that we see in places like tiktok for example um, it is not easy to describe what these you know relationships are right how these people are connected to each other but we also know that this is now a rapidly increasing way in which people relate to each other these digital mediums are really the um, you know one of the frontiers of you know human relationships um, and in order to position ourselves we have to really then position ourselves similarly to what you know the uh, the uh, the users and the participants of these virtual digital worlds are are, are doing um, as well so one has to sort of uh, become either a, a user of uh, tiktok or a you know a commentator on on the various videos you see one has to in a sense participate in the technology in in the you know set uh, kinds of ways that are available uh, uh, to do so. Uh, but in, in it, one is both confronted by the challenge of, you know, interpreting what it is, but also the opportunity of, you know, doing the exciting work of figuring out uh, the direction that human relationships are taking in our uh, contemporary world. Uh, thank you, Anand. Uh, yes, I totally agree uh, what you said. Uh, yes, uh, sometimes it's, uh, some topics are very challenging actually, and you uh, give example of uh, two fish finds. Yes, uh, there is a connection uh, between uh, ethnographic uh, research methods and uh, some uh, social spaces. So, so be it uh, uh, shrine or some other uh, space. So now I uh, will put up a last question uh, uh, to uh, Leila, and then I will hand over the floor to Dr. Nadeem to of our uh, question answer. Uh, uh, Laila, Rajani, uh, I have a uh, very simple question. Uh, since uh, I mean, uh, shared about uh, some of the challenging topics uh, that uh, it is very difficult for uh, digital uh, ethnographers to uh, engage uh, some of the communities. And since you, you people are working in Karachi, so I think uh, uh, when you are working uh, on uh, street children, I mean, this is, uh, it becomes very difficult and not impossible, but challenging. How basically uh, you would engage uh, by uh, using uh, methods from digital uh, ethnography uh, to uh, see children? Uh, over to you, uh, Laila Rajan. What yeah, is your take would... on this? Uh, thank you, Zulfikar. I think that's, a, that's an interesting question. And I honestly, I, you know, it's, you just like you can't use in person ethnographic mm -hmm. methods to let's say study behaviors of Punjabi teenagers on TikTok, you cannot use digital ethnographic methods to study uh, behaviors amongst or attitudes amongst street children if they are like, you know, if they're not on the internet, right? So like, maybe you can use certain kinds of digital ethnographic methods. And again, like, you know, this kind of ask for expanding the definition of what it means to have digital ethnographic methods. And so, for example, there have been uh, research done in, uh, with like, you know, when you give voice recorders to children to go record uh, folk stories amongst their, amongst their, you know, grandparents in South Africa, for example. And, you know, those are some of the ways you can engage. 
But if you are asking about like internet research or ethnography, I don't really see how that would be useful. I think again, as uh, Shama was talking in the chat to answer some of the questions, it's really about the research questions, right? It's really about looking at what you want to study and then like what is the best way to get to that answer or what will allow me to access the kind of people or the kind of information that I need in order to research this particular question. So if my questions about street children, which is again, not, the, not within the scope of the fact study, the fact study is working with families and communities. And I think it's limited in a way that, you know, we are interviewing or recruiting only those people who have access to smartphones. So we are not here making a claim that we are studying all of Karachi or that whatever the study says will be able to speak on behalf of the entire population of Karachi, but it's limited in a way that who has access to a smartphone, who has WhatsApp, who can communicate with us, who has permissions to communicate with us. But going back to your questions about street children, if my research question is about common perceptions of reg of people on the internet about street children then yes digital ethnographic methods could help me with like collecting data from youtube or facebook or websites if my question is about how street children themselves see the world or understand the world or you know in that sort i can give them you know what shama is doing in her class like you know with like something like you know, photo voice and dissertation. So I can give them some cameras or some recorders. They go off, they take pictures, they bring back, which is what a lot of visual anthropologists also do. This is called like participatory research, right? Uh, but again, like I think it depends on the questions that you have and the kind of answers that you want. Does that answer your question, Zulfikar? Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, I guess I agree because you see, as you know, that it becomes uh, really uh, challenging uh, for an uh, for an ethnographer uh, to deal with online communities because when you are uh, you know dealing with online communities, uh, then the concepts are uh, you know these concepts of authenticity, reflexivity, and positionality becomes very very difficult. So I think uh, you know we cannot discuss each and every uh, dimension of uh, ethnography. Uh, in journal and uh, digital uh, ethnography in particular. So hopefully we will have a, another webinar uh, to continue uh, our debate. So with this, I now hand over the uh, floor to uh, Dr. Nadeem. So Dr. Nadeem, over to you for a research co uh, for question and answer. Thank you. Dr. Nadeem, kindly unmute yourself, sir. So thank you, Zulfakar sir. Thank you very much for a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think this is something that I at least wanted to learn and have learned. And quite frankly, we need to now bring some of these people with their studies so that we can actually look at the studies too. Today we've discussed the methodology. Um, folks, please raise your hands if anybody wants to participate in the conversation. Our panel is here. You are free to ask any question or ask any comment you like. Um, I'll just say a few things which I've already said in the chat room. Um, it seems that you people are interested in certain groups and their um, structures through the eyes of the participants. Now, I'm a neoclassical economist, and I know you guys oppose me, and you guys think that we are free market oriented, and that we are this, and that we are individual based. But I found something very strange in, in the ethnographic studies. It seems you guys are studying individuals. So that's very much like the neoclassical school of thought, that we collect data on individuals, and then we try and process data on individuals. 
we don't have anything to say about the government, for example. And I've learned over the time that the government is the most important player. Recently, we put out a paper that the government controls about 80% of the economy. When you talk about street children, the question is, why do we have street children? And the way I would look at it, if I look at it, the street children are there because of the government. So why is it that ethnographic studies have nothing to say about policy or government? From what I heard from you, it seems that it's all sort of kind of very individual related and very individual life related, even whether it's digital or local or, or physical. But in terms of the policy process and the, and the you talk about power relations, but the government didn't figure anywhere. I don't think if you play, replay this thing, the word government was even mentioned once. And I don't think the word policy was mentioned once. So do ethnographers not look at policy? Are we sitting in a space where government doesn't exist, where everything happens in the marketplace? Is that what ethnography and anthropologists do? Anybody from the panel? If I can uh, venture a response, not at all, I would, in three words, um, I gave you three examples of the recently published studies, mm -hmm. all of which actually have a lot to say about the state. Um, obviously, we are talking about methodology here, so we're not talking about specific uh, findings of our research or, you know, um, at least I wasn't, or communicating, um, you know, the, the policy implications of our, you know, of our, um, of our data. Um, but, you know, I think most ethnographers um, do talk about the state, but it's not, I think, um, the way I suppose that one would talk about the state in a neoclassical uh, economist way. So, for example, if I was to talk about the state in, um, in my research on Sufi Mazars, um, I would talk about the way in which there is a, a contestation over the meaning of, for example, um, a Sufi saint, Madhulal Hussain, some of you might know him, is a, um, one of the patron uh, saints of Lahore. Um, so the narrative that the state offers about who Shah Hussain is uh, versus the various ways in which other groups uh, offer contesting narratives and how those contestations take place within the space of the Mazar, how the state seeks to enforce a certain discourse about what Sufism is, what um, uh, what the cultural life of Sufi shrines should be, and how it seeks to impose that on uh, on the practices of uh, of the individuals that, that come to the Mazar. So yes, the state is there, but here it is in the form of a, a narrative, it's in the form of a discourse, it's in the form of trying to shape the practices of um, individuals. Now, of course, I'm not interested in the policy implications of this, but that's for folks who are interested in policy for, you know, to do with as they uh, as they see fit. That's, you know, I think that's really the, the, the burden of figuring out policy is, you know, is, is, is not uh, always to be put on the ethnographer. I think it's for those who are interested in policy to be to be making use of these studies as they um, as they see fit. Great. Anybody else? Lela, Shama? Um, I think I do, um, you know, just building off of what, uh, you, you know, I mean, talk about I, uh, part of the fact study is the one of the thematic areas that we are looking at is institutions in times of crisis. So, you know, how do public messaging information, you know, uh, is absorbed by people? Like, how do they make sense of it and how that guides their daily practices? And so, again, like, you know, if, if you're talking about talking about state, that is 
what part of ethnographic research, at least the way I understand it, is also to see how communities or people make sense of the state. You know, that is also very interesting that how are they making sense of it? What do they understand from the state policies and how do these policies affect their day to day lives? And in, in the fact study that we are part of, that's one of the basic thematic area that we are focusing on that, you know, for example, you have these like, you know, phone, uh, you know, when you call somebody and you get these messaging about COVID, right, and that changes. It was a different messaging in the first wave, there was a different message between the two waves, and now there's a different message. And so, you know, even these institutions and these ideas, these policies, how do people make sense of this and how that affects their day to day lives is really interesting to the questions that we are looking to, for the answers. So. Okay. Uh, may I, sir? Please, please go ahead. Uh, for me, like uh, your question about uh, mentioning government and policy is actually uh, because the, when an anthropologist uh, conduct an ethnography, they are often uh, trained in a classical sense uh, to be non-judgmental, okay. uh, and non-judgmental uh, does not only include uh, being uh, or avoiding ethnocentricity. Uh, rather, it also includes uh, not uh, placing recommendations at the end of uh, his or her research. So that that might be one reason that in academic research, we often uh, ignore uh, this as aspect that you are talking about. And uh, certainly we, uh, we are transforming and evolving as a discipline. Uh, so contemporary, contemporary PhDs, like uh, I can quote two examples. One is of uh, that of uh, Vakas Lim. He conducted uh, field work uh, in a uh, community where he observed the political behavior of people, the voting behaviors as well. So uh, how factions are made. And uh, like uh, the economists are familiar with the game theory. So uh, Frederick Barth has already used this uh, notion of game theory of uh, formation of these uh, groups. The second thing is, uh, the second example I'll quote is, that of uh, former uh, IG and a lead fellow, uh, Saeed Mahmoud Nasir. And uh, he conducted his 20, uh, 20 years long uh, fieldwork uh, research uh, that was uh, quite an uh, uh, impressive ethnography uh, with Gujar Bakarwals. And uh, he, uh, he is planning to go into litigation even after his retirement. And uh, he, he is planning to, uh, is like searching for the possibilities of publishing his uh, PhD research in the form of a book or a monograph. And uh, we are thinking about how to extend his uh, previous research into uh, like uh, new forms of, uh, like uh, giving new dimensions to his previous experience of ethnography. And that certainly includes policy uh, at national level and provincial level. Uh, to give rights to these uh, nomadic communities. So that includes their uh, right to the roots and mobility and uh, the rights, uh, their grazing rights in the forest. So they, they are, they are taken as enemies of the environment and ecology. Whereas uh, if, if we see their ecological services, they are, they are uh, like they, when they migrate with their goats, uh, they are the reason that we have uh, a tree line up to 6,000 feet, uh, 6,000 meters. Otherwise, uh, we wouldn't have uh, trees on the, these mountains if uh, these nomadic communities were, weren't mobile uh, to that level. So, so we have uh, certain policy implications and uh, studies which can be like, uh, which shall be used as uh, 
baseline studies for uh, policy making. Hmm. Anybody else? Ikram Sahib, do you want to say anything? Jamal Bibi, anything? Okay, then let yes, me go. Yes, uh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Yes, Ikram. yes. Uh, 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 now, uh, let me answer your question uh, in the context of knowledge as a, as a saleable commodity. So, in most of the other disciplines, they always sell their knowledge and they present that knowledge as a saleable commodity. While in anthropology or ethnographer, they always create wise for the wiseless people. So, their knowledge is not always in the interest of the so-called state because state always serve the interest of the dominant people, those people who are politically and economically powerful. So we anthropologists are, are always providing an alternative discourse of the understanding. So state or some of the dominant subject believe in the meta narrative, that one narrative or grand narrative that through which we can explain a phenomenon. Now meta narrative always serve the interest of the state while we anthropologists believe in the smallish narrative smallish understanding of that. That is why we always give solution to a problem in, in the particular context. So we cannot apply that solution on the whole society. We anthropologists are against the sweeping generalization of, of any knowledge. So uh, in that sense, but do we, the anthropologists do, discuss, uh, do conduct a study on the bureaucracy, on the state institution, even the etatization of the state that that how that the state is emerged as a powerful entity and how that powerful entity has been replaced by, by, by the corporate sector. So again, uh, the, the, the nature uh, to which we are going to study the power, we are mostly interested in the power at the micro level, not at the macro level. Now power associated with the state is the micro level power. We anthropologists are interested to look into the power at the day-to-day -day interaction. And for us, every act is a political act. Now, politics at the national level and politics at, at, at the micro level, there is, there is a difference in that. Uh, that is why we never give uh, policy-related suggestion, suggestion to, to the state. And we are against the sweeping standardization. So in that sense, uh, we can say that, that our approach is specific to the context and specific to the situation and a certain social set setup as uh, mentioned by the other, uh, other panelists. Great. Let me turn to the floor then. Uh, Shahid Saab. Shahid. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, thank you, Dr. Nadeem. Uh, this is interesting that uh, in her talk, uh, Lela just mentioned something about expectations and some of the studies. And uh, in uh, the and during the talk, there was also uh, mention of a study regarding the behavior of uh, voters, if I remember correctly. Now, uh, my question relates some, uh, to this very aspect. If uh, somebody from this team panelist can answer that. Uh, in economics, we have this uh, expectation augmented Phillips curve, which basically, Phillips curve is basically uh, trade-off between uh, inflation and uh, employment. And then later on, expectations became a part of it. Now, my question is, has anybody, uh, or are there any studies out there which uh, uh, seeks to, which had, uh, sought to study the behavior of people or the expectation of uh, people in terms of uh, every government covering in uh, and their outlook on what their economic policies would be. I mean, was their expectation inbuilt? Had they expectations that nothing would change their economic policies, every government is the same, or did they expect 
something else. Uh, what's their uh, expectations from every government? Does it change or it's, does it remain the same? Ijaz Minhas sahab, panelists, please note the questions. I'll come back to you to answer the questions in, in total. Ijaz uh, Minhas sahab. Thank, thank you, Dr. Ndik, for arranging this interest, very interesting webinar. My, my question to the panel is, how do you, do you write an ethnography? What are its essential parts? Thank you. Okay, anybody else, folks? Don't raise your hands later, you always do. If you want questions, raise them now. Okay, panelists, I'll come back to you. I just want to add one more question on my part. It seems to me, or maybe I'm wrong, maybe I just get this from your from this impression, but nevertheless, it's an impression that you people are interested in questions that are kind of marginal to society. You are interested in uh, nomadic cultures or primitive cultures or um, in the Thana Kucheri. Uh, no, sorry, no, not that, in, in the shrines or whatever. What is the fundamental problem that newspapers and everybody is talking about the Thana Kuchari system, which is kind of oppressing the people and kind of in every little transaction, as I said, we measured this, uh, the, the footprint of the government and that comes to 80%. A government is into every aspect of our bloody life. Um, and yet you people, as I heard from you, you say that you're not interested in policy and that the state really marginally impacts on you. So in a sense, anthropology, will it help us in trying to understand the policy process? Will it help us in trying to understand, for example, street children, fine, but hey, the way I look at it, the way PID looks at it, that we've shown it by our research, that they are there because of the government. They're not there for any other reason. They are because they're because the court actually ruled that there should be no poor in Islamabad. The court ruled that in Karachi, you can't build. So, I mean, hey, these things are fairly obvious, staring us in the face. And you guys are telling me they're not of interest. So, I mean, I don't know. Is anthropology going to help us or is it not? Is this method useful to us? Because we are interested in helping. We are interested in seeing if we can move society forward. We are not, we are not the old style anthropologists like Margaret Mead or whatever, just studying the gorillas. Because we're not gorillas. We want to be active. So, over to you. Guys. Uh, can I, I'd like to respond to that. I think that uh, I don't think anybody is saying that uh, anthropologists are, are not interested in policymaking processes. In fact, applied anthropologists are particularly interested in policymaking processes. And most of the research funding we get are from development organizations who are interested in sort of influencing policy, developing policy frameworks. So, I mean, we're interested, for example, in how laws and legislation are being made. Like, for example, I would be very, I'm very interested in uh, looking at the female uh, parliamentary caucus and how the, you know, the laws that came in, especially around the Women's Protection Act and the processes and decision making around that came about. So that's very interesting for us. Anthropologists are not just looking at, for example, interviewing people or collecting data just from focus group discussions. We're actually interested in archives and documents as well. So we would do policy analysis based on, you know, meeting minutes, for example, or, uh, you know, the recordings of what's happening in the parliament as well. So I, I definitely don't think that anthropologists are not interested in the government. I mean, um, even if you're working from a development anthropologist point of view, you cannot deny the fact that the government is the largest service provider available here and that nonprofit organizations will never be able to replace the state. So at the end of the day, I mean, the lens, if you're in a, even if you're a critical anthropologist, is coming from the fact that you want reform, you want social transformation. 
And so the type of research you would do would be looking towards uh, influencing policy and just the type of work that I do, for example, I look at sexual and reproductive health. So I'm looking for policy advocacy, so evidence-based actions, right? So definitely ethnographic work and anthropological work can influence and sort of give a critical analysis and provide that sort of support for transformation in terms of policy changes and gaps in policy implementation. In addition to that, if you take a participatory lens and you're looking at community involvement in, uh, for example, participatory governance and studying those sort of questions, uh, how do you create demand for policy change? How do you create, um, if you've got a supplier for great, we've got lots of laws, but how do we get them implemented? So there's all sorts of interesting approaches that, for example, citizen tribunals and other sort of uh, PRA methodologies that are also used by ethnographers and, and uh, researchers to do that type of research. So I definitely would not agree with you. Anthropologists are very interested in this state. The state affects every single part of what we do. Okay. And if I can also add to, um, to Shama's point, um, you know, I think what I was uh, trying to communicate was that it's not that the state is absent from studies of um, ethnographers. By the way, I'm a sociologist, not an anthropologist, but I, uh, uh, I would defend anthropologists on many of the accusations that have been hurled at them. Um, <laughs> but, but firstly, um, there is one thing is to look at a certain sector of society from the perspective of the state, right? Which is, I think, what you are suggesting, Professor Huck. The other is to actually see the state from the perspective of uh, its subjects or citizens, what, whatever you uh, prefer to call them. Um, and I think Lela also pointed this out, that for a lot of ethnography, and I think Dr. Graham put it very succinctly when he said that it's actually what is the experience of you know, um, street children or uh, those who are working with uh, waste, uh, those who are uh, marginalized from various sections of society. Um, what is their experience of the state? Now, um, when I said that for policy, I mean, is this the state is usually not interested in those things, right? I mean, if the state is interested in, in those things that they they would be looking at those studies and they would be sort of, you know, making policy keeping you know the experience of these individuals and the impact of the state on these individuals in in mind uh, the state is i think central i agree with you nadeem uh, saab on this point that is central to the lives of um of everyone in the contemporary world um i think it's also an important point to to talk about the writing um uh, aspect of ethnographies because i think it's one of the distinctive um qualities of this uh, methodology that it combines a descriptive style of um, of writing with interpretation um, that you're not simply describing the world but you're also within that description offering an interpretation of it so it's a very um, it, it, it may seem like stories but the stories what distinguishes it is from storytelling is precisely that you're offering an interpretation and analysis of of the world as you have um, uh, researched it um, and finally, I should also just add, anthropologists never studied gorillas, they always studied people. Um, so, you know, I think that really needs to be, you know, uh, taken back that kind of uh, way of talking about the, the, you know, the tribal or the natives or so on. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, look, uh, I was taught that you have to be a little provocative, so don't mind. Well, that's, that's just plain racism, you know, it's not, it's not provocative. <laughs> racism? Yeah, of course. I mean, you're you're equating, you know, the the natives of classical anthropology with gorillas. I mean, that's 
that's a pretty racist trope. Okay, in my fair, enough, fair enough. We live in a woke world, so obviously everything is uh, something. Dr. Stanley Cruz, you're here. Why don't you give us something? And then I'll call on Safar Sohail. Let's hear their views. Stanley Cruz? Uh, yes, uh, I find this very interesting, very interesting discussion. Uh, as to the question about the government, um, I, I would think that would be more in the field of sociology than anthropology. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with the others on the panel that uh, from an anthropological uh, perspective, we really deal more with people's uh, experience in terms of individuals and groups. Mm -hmm. rather than looking at institutions. So I think uh, the sociology would be more the field that would deal with institutions such as government. Um, but I find this uh, discussion very interesting. Um, uh, I'm dealing with students right now that are uh, doing research uh, and they're unable to go to the field. Uh, so they, uh, they'll need to do their, uh, their research uh, digitally uh, probably through Zoom interviews, uh, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so questions come up uh, as to, um, you know, are there problems with validity and reliability in terms of doing uh, interviews by, by Zoom or, or by other remote methods uh, rather than in person? Uh, yeah, how do, how do we deal with those limitations? Uh, in terms of particularly with interview uh, research. Uh, so I don't know if any of the panel members would want to, uh, to uh, respond on that uh, matter. Okay, great. Um, uh, Safdar Sohail, go ahead. Sorry, open. Sorry, open. Will you please speak? I'm sorry. I can see you say that you want to talk. Go ahead, sorry, open. Go ahead. Can I you hear me? We can hear you. Oh, good. Thank you. Um, I guess one of the the positive sides of COVID is that I'm much more aware of these kind of international events and can join you from the UK. Um, thank you very much for a really fascinating uh, session and discussions. I guess I had a question for the panelists about people who are working sort of in between the fully digital ethnography and the kind of normal ethnography that we did before COVID. So whether people have any thoughts about how to do ethnography in a situation where perhaps you can go and visit people, but you have to stay a distance away from them, you maybe have to wear a mask um you have to go through all these kind of uh, social distancing measures and how you manage that and also how you manage that if your kind of risk protocols that for example your university have have given you uh, are different from those of the community you're studying so for example my university would require me to wear a mask if I was doing research somewhere where people weren't generally wearing masks then that would distance me from my participants um, and would kind of limit the ability for me to be kind of intimate and work with my participants. Fair enough, fair enough. Safdar Suhail. Safdar Suhail. 
तो तो सब बोल रहे कि नहीं बोल रहे क्या हो गया या कमाई इतनी ऑन हो रहा ओके एंड वी विल नॉट टेक सपर्स फॉर हिम ओके फिर ना फोक्स एनी लास्ट थॉट्स कमेंट्स फ्रॉम द पैनल सो जस्ट रिपोर्टिंग टू द क्वेश्चन अबाउट द इन बिटवीन सो आई हैव लाइक अबाउट uh 18 research projects from students who actually are looking at the covid context and to a large extent we've been discouraging them from uh having face to face because of the risk because we're in the second wave over here uh so the university has been encouraging students to to conduct the interviews online of course there's a limitation with the online process uh or with uh phone interviews but since mobile phone access in pakistan is fairly high even if it's not a smartphone we've been trying to do that in the case where there's a face to face uh, interview uh, we uh, again as i said the students have been discouraged from doing that and to a large extent uh, most of the uh, i think i was supposed to do a focus group discussion next week with the group uh, which is i think 12 to 15 people and we reduced the number of people and also uh, sort of the space was an open air space that we decided to have the focus group discussion with so just to give you an idea of those are some of the changes we are making mm -hmm. okay anybody else from the panel ikram sahab yeah i would ahead. just like to yeah. i would just like to uh, comment on i mean there was a lot of questions in the chat and also i think the last couple of questions talk about the limitations of the online for online approach uh and online platform and i think one of the things that come up again and again is this idea of authenticity authenticity and how online or digital ethnography cannot match up in authenticity to the offline ethnography and i think that's thing idea the whole idea of authenticity is interesting to think about i mean like what is authentic anyway uh, i think you know anthropologists and sociologists would argue that nothing is and i mean i mean in a sense that all life and all humanity is performance but even if you sideline that for a little bit and like just talk about the method and its limitations I think it's important to acknowledge that as long as you as an ethnographer whether you are a sociologist or an anthropologist or a political scientist again like ethnography is a method not a discipline so limiting it to anthropology does really does a disservice to the method itself but i mean what whatever kind of a researcher that you are as long as you are in the room whether that's a chat room or a messenger or a zoom call or in the living room of a family your presence will affect the outcome of the conversations that people are having so you know i mean often times people talk about digital ethnography and authenticity but authenticity is a, is a bigger concept in the, and it applies to all kinds of research but one of the things that you know i learned in the in the as being part of the fact study and i would like to credit this idea to dr uh, to aisha khan who is the principal investigator of fact study as well is this idea that even when you think that people are not being authentic right and you think that people are making things up to tell you something and you can't validate it because you're online even that making up of things or performing things tells you something it tells you something about what you were studying it tells you something about the knowledge or attitude of the people you were trying to study and that performance in itself is worth listening or worth paying attention to so you know it kind of stretches the idea of what we think is authentic because as long as you are there as long as two people are talking there are going to be some kind of performativity and um, so yeah i just kind of wanted to conclude with that okay uh, here is a question secondly, from sohail who couldn't speak i'll please take this question to you can you next he says that um, 
his connection is bad, so he can't speak, but he asked that, why is it that most of the ethnographer work is funded by donors? Most ethnography is being done through donor funding. Go ahead, please, who's speaking next? Um, I can talk to that. The reason is because we don't have money for social science research in Pakistan, flat out. Uh, there is very little money that HEC provides for social science research. We've just recently been getting some, even though the HEC budget has been slashed. So at the end of the day, who funds social science research? Either you do it collaboratively with an international university and you're a sub on it, uh, or your university has some money if it's a private university. But other than that, it's usually development agencies who are looking for formative or summative evaluations, and you end up uh, with money coming in from that. So that's the reality of funding um, in social sciences. So if, if HEC people are listening in, we would be very happy if you offer more opportunities for research so that we don't have to depend on donors. Uh, Lala and I are both laughing because we've been struggling with this for the last year. Our, our study, we've just put in a grant uh, for the local challenge, which HEC has offered, and there's an international challenge. But aside from that, there's but very little social science research. We're aware PID offering the RASTA program, which is going to fund social science studies. Yes, Nadeem Saab, thank you. We are putting in a grant for PID as well. Thank you. Let me give you a little heads up. We will not fund niche studies. We want to fund studies that are going to impact Pakistan and not, um, this is where I want to also bring in uh, Stanley Cruz. If, I think he's gone, I'm sorry if he's gone. Uh, Seri, open, please, can you, uh, I'm sorry Stanley's gone. Can you please tell me why are anthropologists not interested in the 900 pound gorilla in the room? There are 900 pound gorilla there, but in fact, 1900 pound, probably 2,900 pounds. That gorilla seems to not interest anthropologists at all. So anthropologists who tend to tell me they're very left-leaning seem to me far more uh, right than my Chicago background because they're only studying things that are totally non-governmental, whereas the thing that is affecting us the most is the government. So Seri, can you please talk to that and then I'll let, uh, let the rest of the panel talk, talk on that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I wasn't expecting to have to talk on uh, on the panel. Um, I mean, I can I can add my thoughts on that, which is that um, in my experience, anthropologists and ethnographers are very much interested in in policy and speaking truth to power, um, in questioning the kind of particularly when when policy and policymakers are affecting the day-to-day -day lives of people. So my own work on migration, um, one of the things that I'm very interested in is the way in which policymakers rules about who is and isn't allowed to cross a border, for example, uh, who is and isn't allowed to get a visa, how that shapes the lives of ordinary people and their families. So that is very much, in my opinion, a policy relevant topic. And in fact, if we look at the number of anthropologists who work in development issues, um, in criticizing some of the development policies that have put people's lives at risk uh, through the building of dams, for example, or other big sort of large scale projects, then they're very much uh, talking or attempting to talk to policymakers. One of the issues that anthropologists and ethnographers face is because we do qualitative research um, it's very difficult for us to say things like 52% of people had their livelihood damaged by this building of a dam for example um, 
because we can't provide numbers like that, but what we can do is provide real life examples of how people's lives are affected. Unfortunately, policymakers don't really want to listen to the stories. They want a number, something that uh, a fact in inverted commas that they can count. And that's one of the reasons why policymakers aren't so interested in listening to anthropologists, which is a shame. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Okay, last word. Uh, Amin, would you like to say some last words? Yeah, I guess I would just pick up on something that um, that, that Siri mentioned, um, which is, you know, something that's been at the heart of the ethnographic enterprise, and that's you know something that I think Leila and and Shama are also um, seeking to uh, to challenge, which is the kinds of power inequalities that characterize the research methodology itself, because you're not simply you know sitting in an ivory tower and you know collecting data through. Um, you know, um, graduate students conducting surveys and so not. You're actually in the heart of um, art of the world, and you are, you know, uh, in many cases, uh, but engaging with folks who are obviously um, in in positions that are quite uh, unequal uh, related to yourself. Um, and one thing that I think this um, the the pandemic has has done is to really, you know, put these uh, power inequalities. Uh, even uh, it has made them even more uh, obvious. So I think, Sarah, you mentioned that, you know, if you're going to a a a, a, a community or a a marketplace to research that is, um, you know, not taking you know COVID precautions like wearing masks, and you yourself are, um, clearly wearing a mask in the, in the Pakistani context at least is is you know is a very indicative of class uh, divides and of you know privilege. Uh, and so on. Uh, so for myself, I've been conducting research on, you know, Afghan refugees uh, in Lahore who have been, uh, you know, collecting waste and then recycling it and creating value um, uh, uh, out of it through a certain social, I'm looking at the social process of, of creating value out of waste, um, which I don't know if Professor Huck finds that uh, to be niche or of, of relevance or not, but you know, that's besides the point. Um, uh, but the, 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 for me, I mean, going, going to these, uh, going to the, uh, the places where these men work uh, with a mask on, you know, becomes a clear, you know, sign that, you know, you are, in a sense, not willing to uh, engage with them. And I think as Dr. Uh, Rao said, you know, ethnography has a certain element of risk involved in it historically, but, you know, I'm, you know, it's, Clearly, for these men, you know what they do, and the world in which they participate is, uh, you know, it, it cannot be stopped as a result of COVID. You know, they have to carry on their work. They, they, their lives are based on, you know, daily, uh, daily wage, daily, you know, whatever money they make on a daily basis. So they have to carry on. But as an ethnographer, you know, uh, my privilege allows me to kind of just step back from that research. And if I go to that research site, you know, do I? also take the the risks that they're living their life with you know being completely immersed in that world um, obviously requires that one you know takes the same um, the risks the the same uh, things that that they come up uh, that they have to experience on a daily basis but of course as ethnographers we don't take all those risks even today or even before uh, uh, this time and I think the COVID pandemic has you know brought that dynamic at least for me even in in sharper relief right that that kind of inequality that exists in uh, ethnographic fieldwork, which of course we confront, but other research methods are generally oblivious to, uh, uh, is something that that has uh, become, I think, even more uh, profound. Thank you, thank you, Amin. Around Adeem, sir. 
thank you, sir. Uh, I, I would like to give a few anecdotal remarks about uh, different comments and things. Uh, for example, uh, I volunteered, uh, although there was money involved in it, but I still volunteered for uh, research uh, for Red Plus. Red is reducing emissions from uh, degradation of forest and uh, deforestation. And uh, we developed uh, uh, this uh, grievances redressal mechanism. So that needed uh, an ethnographic inquiry from the communities. Uh, what kind of uh, grievances they hold and how to resolve it, what kind of platforms they need. So that was a governance research. So, and that, that, that is like uh, uh, our part uh, from Pakistan to contribute towards the global practices uh, in, within the red framework. And secondly, uh, like uh, I don't uh, think that uh, even the gorilla comment was uh, race, uh, about uh, like that wasn't racist for me uh, because an anthropologist is trained to be tolerant and uh, it's not only being uh, non-ethnocentric, it is being about uh, like being uh, relative uh, in everything. So it, it, we, we must uh, take it like, because he was uh, relating Margaret Mead with the gorilla. It is Jane Goodall actually. <laughs> so, and, and then uh, we, we think that biological anthropology is part of anthropology. So, uh, so, uh, so we, we, we uh, take all these commands and absorb them as ethnographer. And that is uh, how I conceive as an eth uh, ethnographer. And that because there, there was somebody who asked about the basis, basic premises of ethnography. Uh, so I, I, I consider it like, uh, as already ma'am Dosa referred it as a qualitative uh, technique. So it is a methodology. It's not uh, as already uh, Ma'am Rajani referred it, uh, like uh, mentioned it, that it is not a discipline. Discipline is anthropology primarily, and now this methodology is used uh, by um, a multi uh, transdisciplinary. And secondly, uh, when we think of uh, basic premises of ethnography, uh, I, I think that ethnographer as a protagonist is the base uh, for uh, ethnography, and he must be a good listener. Uh, a good observer. Mm -hmm. So these the these are the qualities which give meaning uh, to ethnography. And then uh, he he must be a very good reporter, as uh, mentioned by Jaffer Saib, that uh, it is a style of writing actually how to report it. Uh, thirdly, uh, like as you think that uh, we always talk of uh, talk about policy and governance uh, without a baseline. There is no policy. There is no governance. So, and, and uh, if, if I need to be governed, uh, I must uh, tell you how to govern me or my behaviors shall dictate uh, the governing authority to, uh, to conceive the governing laws, the constitutions and things like that. So I guess that it is uh, ethnographer can be a mediator. And as already mentioned by Ma'am Dosa that uh, ethnography or uh, ethnographers are uh, often playing a role of uh, applied anthropologist. So th th that is something where we uh, function as uh, judgmental, where, where we uh, uh, put forward recommendations. So uh, in our role as uh, applied anthropologist, we, we do all those things which uh, you expect us uh, to do uh, as in any project of development or anything. And uh, the classical example is the Federal Indian Office in America that their, their cultural anthropologists played such roles. So I, I guess I've uh, covered a few questions and I might skip a few others. Thank you very much. Somebody Thank called you, sir. There's an official who's raised uh, 
एंड ऑफिशियली बोले देन वी गो टू गेट बैक टू द जी प्लीज ऑफिशियली अनम्यूट योरसेल्फ ऑफिशियल एंड इंट्रोड्यूस योरसेल्फ प्लीज ऑफिशियल कहां गई भाई ऑफिशियल साहब अनम्यूट योरसेल्फ अनम्यूट करें Uh, I'm Dr. Aisha Shiraz from National Institute of Population Studies, uh, and because it is my office computer, so I didn't know that it is official uh, written there. I just saw it just now. Um, I, uh, thank you. It was really very good presentation, but sorry, I joined a bit late because I received uh, this invitation just now. so i would uh, i am currently doing research in uh, population and health and uh, we are doing pakistan demographic and health survey you all know about that survey and we also did a maternal mortality survey currently i am doing a study of who it will be done from 1st of december on gender based violence during covid 19 so this is very informative information and i just want to invite any of your student want to join my uh, research as well as any other uh, uh, senior officials they would like uh, to give comments to my study it will be for uh, one month from uh, in the month of december so it will be very uh, useful for me uh, sure. because i am in late so do i do not have any uh, email addresses or any other thing so i would like to uh, uh, contact you as well dean saab or any other people okay. लाइक every discipline has got its pragmatic utility and if you are going to use the stand or the benchmark of particular discipline and if you are going to observe observe the contribution of the other discipline by keeping the the, the superiority of your discipline in your mind so this 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 may be an injustice uh, that is why uh, uh, the uh, professor huck is his uh, approach is quite econocentric as we anthropologists and social scientists particularly the sociologists and anthropologists Uh, give importance to, to the things which are socially constructed now this reality of the progress this this progress improvement development uh, pragmatic is socially constructed phenomena and and how and who is constructing this and who how and the people are going to design that and how that construction is going to influence the perceptions of the people and world view of the people uh, is uh, your definition of of the development and and uh, uh, progress may be different from our definition of the development and and the progress that is why uh, uh, the anthropological contribution for the development of the country is equally important as the the, the economic contribution or or the economists are doing so every person is doing and contributing in, in the development of the country but that is different one so the differential understanding is always there uh, ethnography and ethnographic research is equally pragmatic and utilitarian in, in nature as other researchers are so uh, is uh, this uh, some of the uh, of the participant of the view that the, the professor huck used used the racist uh, remarks so uh, we anthropologists particularly the sociologists and the anthropologists 
we always discourage the ethnocentric approach that the superiority of one subject over the other subject. All subjects are equally important uh, and equally contributing in the, in, the, in the development of the society and in the development of the country. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anybody else, folks? Um, Lela, do you want to say any last words? Uh, anybody? Your last chance when I close the thing. Nobody? Amin, Amin and uh, Dr. Um, whatever, sorry. Um, go ahead if you want to say anything. Last words. Shama Dosa. Okay, fine. If there's no last words, then I'll just close the webinar. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. I think it's been a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Um, I will just say, I think uh, it's an unjust charge, but then when you, we are used to these woke labels, young people who think they can just label somebody and get away with it. We've got the recording. We can show you what happened. There was no racist remark. Anthropologist to study primitive societies in Puralas. I just read Joseph Henrich, the whole book, two books, are comparing gorillas and primitive societies and, and learning from there, projecting into the modern world and saying how institutions and societies are formed. Jared Diamond, the same story. You go to Ian Morris, I read Pop's anthropology, that's all I can say, I'm not an academic in anthropology, but everywhere it's the same. So the woke charge was naive, but I can take it, it doesn't matter. Naivety is part of the discourse, but please don't carry it away with you that that charge was not challenged. That charge was fully challenged and that charge was naive at best because I said, Margaret Mead studies gorillas. We are not gorillas. Now that's a, I mistook it. I didn't mean, um, I should have said Jane Goodall, but obviously my memory is not that great. It's got nothing, there was no racism there. It's just all woke nonsense that we are living with these days. Label people, label people without thinking. Okay, folks. We've learned a lot today. Thank you very much. We will call you guys again. We will look at your work. I just want to say one thing. It's not about econocentricity or it's not about whatever. Government is a socially constructed thing too. This is what Hendrik is talking about. This is what Jared Diamond is talking about. Government is also socially constructed. They talk about primitive governments and then extrapolate to the modern government. And I think that we should, this is my view. I'm, I'm not imposing it on you. I never impose views on webinars. This is just my view. We should talk about the 900 pound gorilla in the room. That's it. I'm not forcing you. You can't, you should do whatever you like. I'm not absolutely in any position to force you, but I'm in a position, and this is what webinars are for, for exchange of views without labeling. I'm in a position to say, my personal view, not imposing it on you, that we should think about the 900 pound gorilla in the room, that we've got a Thana Kuchari problem. We've got the colonial state on our backs. We've got a primitive legal system. We've done tons of webinars on this. And this should be a subject of study. And the reason I wanted the ethnographic uh, webinar is I want to tell my researchers, hey, this is the methodology maybe you can use to study the legal processes. For example, how are transactions conducted? For example, why do we live in an NOC, in a, in an NOC economy, in a permission economy? For example, why is land so difficult to trade in this country? For example, why are agricultural markets non-existent? I want ethnographic studies on those and I am going to try and get those done. So please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to criticize you. This is not the point. The point is to have an intelligent discussion without labeling each other on a particular subject. I take your subject very seriously, which is why I asked you to come, which is why I'm talking to you. I take your subject very seriously because I read about it. I could even talk about another guy who's got a, a very interesting uh, storytelling thing, and he's got a great 
consulting firm uh, out of it. I've forgotten the name now. He does the storytelling anthropological approach and he uses it very well. He studied terrorism in Pakistan using that approach. He actually did a study on terrorism using that approach, right? Which I liked a lot. So look, don't take it personally. This is just a discussion of ideas. And yes, we differ as we should. I keep telling people, if you don't differ, go to the mosque. Only place I, dis I don't disagree is the mosque. Everywhere else, I'm a contrarian. I will disagree with you wholeheartedly and fully. I'm willing to take all the insults. I'm, I, don't argue, I don't worry about that. But let's be rational about it and be prepared to discuss with each other without getting personal. That's a simple request. And we will continue to do this, inshallah. Thank you very much, folks. I learned a lot. I'm very happy with this webinar. Inshallah, we'll do more. Okay, all the best. Thank you. Khuda Hafiz.